Hello, and welcome to the NBA podcast. Today, we're going to be playing a game called Look Around the Corner. What we can't see, but is very likely to affect us in Q4 2023 going into 2024. Our med experts today are Barbara, Mike, Tom, and I'm Skender. Thank you for listening. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe to this one as well as all future ones and past ones as we have a lot of entertaining content. And welcome to the MedTech Business Academy. So look around the corner. It's one of those things where if you're running down a street and somebody else is running in the same direction around the corner, you can't see them coming, but inevitably you're gonna end up in some sort of collision. And you have to start thinking about those things as you're driving, as you're running, as you're walking, about what's around the corner, what potential challenges are there that we're not currently seeing, which is ironic when you consider the fact that we just left probably the last three years of the greatest challenging period uh, the world has probably ever seen, let alone healthcare. But we know that there's probably other things that we aren't seeing quite yet. So let's play look around the corner. Barbara, what's waiting for us in Q4 2024? Well, one thing is uh, we're seeing uptick already of COVID and admissions to hospitals. Uh, so you can't take your eyes off of that. So this winter, when, remember, winter goes until March. <laughs> so we need to keep looking around that corner because with COVID may sneak in two or three other diseases or something we've not seen before. So don't take your eyes off of COVID and any of those sort of uh, CDC announcements and various things like that are from who. Perfect. Mike, what are we not seeing? What do you think is coming for us? So what I think what I'm seeing is, and I just don't know a better way to say it, but I think Q4 is going to be a pivotal quarter for a lot of different companies. I think that revenues and uh, profitability and financial numbers are going to come, you know, you have, you have that quarter to make those numbers. And if you don't get your stuff, and I'm using a politically correct word there, you know the word that I want to use, together, (laughs) that, uh, you know, you're not going to not only have a a year that you're disappointed in, but around the corner, the following year is just going to be getting tougher. And so I think people really need to be self-assessing at this point in the fourth quarter about what's working, what's not, and to really just stop doing stupid things that you're just sinking money and you're sinking resources into areas that just aren't performing. So stupid things, very profound. Uh, let's let's dig into that. What, what are some of those stupid things, Mike? Well, I mean, let's just start with sales. Okay, so fundamentally, if you have a business, sales is the lifeblood of what it is that you did. Yet, when I look at the salespeople that from the Fortune 500 companies down to the one-man armies, you have people that just have not adopted to this new world of virtual sales and this world of hybrid sales. They're not trained in it, and they're just basically told to go out and sell without a specific sales process that's geared to basically get a predictable and repeatable outcome for any situation that you're going to face. 
So literally from the prospecting side about how to get somebody interested in your product or service to closing the sale, that needs to be all mapped out with what to say, when to say it, how to say it. You need to have the marketing materials in place that complement that process. So that way each individual encounter that you have, it's not that these folks are shooting off the hip, it's very well prepared and it's specific to that customer with that competitive situation. We all can anticipate every scenario that we're gonna encounter. It's time that we take the time to put a sales process in place because to leave it up to chance, that's a stupid thing. I think that's really um, um, a strong statement, Mike, in the sense of, you know, I talk to a lot of companies, you know, they want to immediately put on perhaps an independent sales rep force, or, you know, they're trying to reach the customer real quick. And they're they're trying to skip steps often. They don't want to take the time or the money investment to do uh, create the right sort of processes, the right sorts of information. Right? They want to go from you know A to A to D and skip over the other steps, and then you know wonder why it didn't work. And Tom, I'll tell you. So you you see that all the time with people that are using distributors or ten ninety nines, right? Mm-hmm. Their, their lifeblood is now in the hands of somebody else. And nine times out of 10 in those contracts that I reviewed, you don't see any accountability metrics in terms of activity, right? Everybody knows we want to hit this number. Okay, we want to meet this goal. But how specifically are we going to get there? What accounts are we going to target? Who is in the market? What percentage are we going to close with, a, with not only a financial plan, but an activity metrics plan that you hold those distributors at 1099s accountable to doing. And people you know, will come back and they'll say, yeah, but we're not paying them. But at the end of the day, they're not going to make money or you're not going to make money unless there's a logical activity-based plan to achieve those numbers. And that's such a relevant point because when you look on the other side of that desk from the perspective of that distributor or that independent sales rep, that 1099 going, well, wait a minute, you want me to hit all these benchmarks, you want me to hit all these sales, but you've not given me anything to work with, right? And so they, in many ways, they're like the child that's looking for the boundaries, right? They're looking for that accountability, but it's not there. So, and and then they're wondering why they're being challenged with results when they don't even have the tools to work with. Yeah, I, I, wanna, I don't want to get off too much on a tangent from the bigger topic here, but that's actually something I find interesting, Tom, you brought up something. Um, with ISRs and distributors tend to lean more towards the experienced side. I uh, tend to have more relationships with what Mike was just talking about. And I'm just talking in general to our, to our listening audience here. How have you seen companies successfully present them with, this is how I want you to do it. Because a lot of times I've seen some of those ISRs and distributor reps say, Hey, Hey, you don't tell me how to do it. Just give me your product and I run with it because I, I've been doing this for 20 years. Yeah. Where, where have you guys found that balance with some of that, that cohort? So I'm look, interested in Mike's answer and I've got mine. Yeah. So look, I'll tell you right now, uh, I've done it a lot. And what you need to do first of all is understand the partner that you're with. If I get a partner like that, but they have a strong foothold in a geography that I'm trying to break into All I'm going to ask them to do is to identify what relationships that they have that they're going to go into and actually penetrate our product into those accounts. 
So before we sign the deal, I'm going to ask them, show me who your relationships are that you're going to bring me into. Now, most of the time, especially with older reps or seasoned reps, they have this book of business and they have all these great customers, which they can walk you right up to the front of the line and get you those sales quickly if they believe in your product or service. So in that scenario, your job is to win them over, right? They have the credibility and they have the brand that you're leveraging to get into that account. So you sign them up basically to go into their base of business. But now you have another situation where that rep who basically is in a city, he's got 20 accounts that he owns and you're gonna get into all 20, but he's got 80 accounts that he absolutely has no interest and will not get into, but those are 80 accounts that you're missing. So how do you get into those accounts? What we've seen work successfully is you do lead generation for them into those 80 accounts. So you pick up the tab, you, you generate an interest and a need in those 80 accounts, and then you funnel those hot leads over to that great ref, that guy or girl that knows all about the industry, all about the market, all about the competition, knows how to sell. Now they have a qualified appointment, they go in and close the sale. So when you're in that situation, that's the way that model can work. And I would add to that, and, and I, Mike, I 100% agree, the, the other angle on that is if you're working with that rep that's strong in those 20 accounts, they've got to have the right uh, information because they're putting their credibility on the line, right? So they're looking, and here's what a lot of manufacturers don't understand is that they're looking for the manufacturer to provide, you know, the 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 types of documentation that Barbara will provide with value analysis. Because, you know, if they're coming up to a client they've done business with for years, and all of a sudden, you know, there's there's huge gaps in it. Now, you know, they're you know, kind of kicking over their credibility bucket, right? And they're taking some risks. So that's a big factor in terms of if you're going to recruit the top-notch ISRs out there. Well, and I just want to I've been, I've been sitting here for those of you who can't see me, <laughs> nodding my head a lot. It's getting a little tired. So the value messaging and thing has to be right on, and you have to give them enough information because now value analysis and others in provider organizations, they're armed with so many more questions that they might throw at you that they didn't have six months ago because of everything that's happened but currently what's happening to them more than i was just at the association for healthcare resource and material manager meeting arm so lots of supply chain lots of suppliers value analysis a whole mixture of folks uh, gpos and every conversation i either walked up to or whatever is this is the worst of times you thought it was bad during covid it's bad, worse today for lots of different reasons. So you're going to get asked more questions or you're going to get the, nope, sorry, we're not entertaining that class of products right now or anything having to do with new products. So you really have to arm those ISRs, distributors, et cetera, with answers to new questions, and they might not know those. Let's get off on that tangent for a second, Barbara. You open up a can of worms there that I think a lot of people are going to be interested about. So let's just mm -hmm. talk about that for a second. And, you know, I'm not interested in looking in that class of product or anything like that. And I'm not looking at, at new products. 
what are you looking at? Right. So every organization is going to be different because one thing your people really want to see, can you help to augment the staffing shortage by providing uh, products or services that is going to streamline the workflow, get me as good as or better outcomes and free up bed. So I don't have people staying here a long period of time. And now I've got to drain on all of my resources. And those resources could be outsourced or insourced, but it's a big drain. So that's one thing we talked a lot about at the meeting. The buzzwords were every presentation had the word value in it. I think if people think if we throw around value and AI enough, <laughs> it'll just sort of spontaneously happen, but you really need to work at it. Um, there was also a lot of discussion about data, not just AI and what you do with it, but just data, clean data. How are you making sure it's clean? This is goes for both sides of the equation, whether you're a provider or a industry uh, rep or manufacturer, or whatever. The other thing is, is look at all of your own internal systems and are you maximizing it? Are you using every possible part of your CRM? Are you using other tools and data within your um, manufacturing and um, distributor uh, wherewithal in order to update all of your processes so people can access them? Provider side, no different. I know people who have lots of software and they use maybe 20% of it because no one's even told them they have the opportunity to use it. Barbara, you hit on two things that I actually had written down about what's around the corner, and that was AI and data integrity. I hear a, the AI is the new .com, right? Or the new, mm -hmm. I've got an app for that. Right. It seems like everybody's trying to do that. And um, I've talked to some experts that are, you know, talking about that clean data that you brought up. It's incredibly hard to get to because, you know, some of the CRMs out there, they're on revision, you know, 8, 10, 12. But we're using a data, you know, that's coming from, you know, some of the first revs of that. So it's it's really a mishmash and it's expensive from the supplier mm -hmm. end, but it's critical on the provider end, right? Mm -hmm. That that be cleaned up. And I think that's that's a, a, a train wreck I think we're gonna see happen. Yeah, You know, it's funny, Tom, when I'm thinking about data, again, I always look at everything from the lens of a medical device or medical technology mm -hmm. company trying to sell things. Right. And, you know, you talk about what Barbara brought out is about the quality of the data is everything, right? Yeah, right. Well, the big, another stupid thing that people are doing is they're not using their resources like their sales organization mm -hmm. to capture real-time data within the account and storing that data and updating everything. So they go out and they buy a definitive healthcare database, or they go out and they buy uh, you know, some database, a frost and solvent that shows them some sort of data. But if you're in, if you're selling ventilators and your rep is in there, he goes in there and he knows how many vents do you have, when they were bought, 
what problems they're having with it. And all that real-time information could go in there and people are just not storing that data. Yeah, real-time data is where it is on both provider and supplier side. And um, the GPOs are trying to hit that really hard for their members. And by uh, normalizing data for them, so that they're able to really do benchmarking, comparative, understand things. Because if you look at the data and you look at sales data by parts of the country in the U.S., what pops out is the Southeast. And that's where you have more chronic diseases that are full-blown or ready to happen. But that's also where the rural hospitals and the health isn't care isn't happening. So somehow you've got to co-opt those areas. And and the other thing around the corner, and I think it's kind of hit providers a few times, but they're not realizing it yet, is they've got to also see that picture in their area and move care to sites get things happening outside of the hospital. Because what you're going to do is you're just gonna perpetuate, I need to have all these people in the hospital because oh my God, they have so many disease states and things. And you're just exasperating what you're trying to do when dollars aren't available. They're spending capital on day-to-day operations because wheels are just spinning and those continue to spend as they go around that corner. So, so one thing about data that I find so interesting is when a company finally does produce something that is valuable and has data behind it, I find it so interesting when they deliver it the same way to each of their potential audience points, okay? So when you're delivering data to a, and this has no indication of anything about an individual and I'm not making any not saying anything negative about anybody. All I'm stating is the way you present information to a surgical tech versus the surgeon versus the supply chain person, the same exact piece of data should have three different value points to each of those people, okay? Just because the data shows this is the end result, trying to speak to that to the surgical tech isn't gonna have the same value as it is to the supply chain person. So I think one of the most interesting things that that I hear is people say, we've got this study. Okay, well now make the study relevant to the audience, make supply chain understand why it's important to them. Then to give it, use that same piece of information as a different tool with a different message for the surgeon. It's the same data point, It's just presented to them in their language and the same thing to the surgical tech, to the surgical nurse. I find so many people are so excited when they get a white paper, a study, they've got data, and then they lose it in translation. Anybody else see that? Yeah. And and the one little thing before I forget it, and you guys tick off somewhere, is (laughs) what happens is we can make in value analysis, we can make a great case on how it might help a different department or it might help this or that. But the department that's most effective has to make that conversion change. But it's supposed to help everybody else. Those are the hard sells because not every study can talk to every part of that chain. 
I think it was Skinner. I think it's a great point that you made because I see it all the time. It's a one size fits all message that falls on deaf ears to three quarters of the audience because you're only speaking to one quarter of the audience that is important. Mm -hmm. And here's where AI can actually help out is mm -hmm. you can put in your white paper into ChatGPT or Claude right now is actually a bigger, uh, gives you more data points that you can use. And you can go in there and say, hey, look, here's a white paper. Talk about the, the, the relevant points and give me a sales presentation geared towards a surgeon, geared towards a material, and watch how the computer will actually give you ideas on how different that presentation is going to be. But the bottom line is, whether you use your own intelligence or artificial intelligence, you got to do what Skender is suggesting. Yeah, Mike, I like that because, you know, for years and years, I know both you and I have, have done this. It's tailoring that message to who, you know, who is that uh, that uh, individual you're speaking to and what's going to interest them, right? So you're not running them through the whole brochure, the whole study. You know, you, you got to keep things within three minutes anymore, right? You've got to get that attention. You've got to zero right in. But it's also taking the time to do that research yourself to know, okay, they're gonna be interested in this. You know, and data can also be, you know, going to the facility's website, or if it's a public facility, you know, there's plenty of public, um, you know, uh, institutions, listen to their CEO on the, on the last, um, you know, investor, the last quarterly report, right? Because you can garner a lot of how to present your data to that entity based on what you hear from those types of resources. Yeah, Tom, to that point, one of the things that I've always tried to train uh, salespeople on is, is the philosophy I call 51031. Um, and that's the fact that you only get an opportunity to get five seconds of attention. If you knock it out of the park with that five seconds, you bought yourself another 10 seconds of captive attention. If you've made good use of that next 10 seconds, you bought yourself 30 seconds of audience attention. And then if you make good use of that, you've got a minute. So in that first fight, and it creates a cascade, it just falls off a cliff, right? Yeah. It's not like it goes up. It falls off a cliff at any point. So if you aren't relevant in that, you lose that next 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. You lose the 30 seconds. You lose that minute. And frankly, it's about a minute and 45 seconds is all we really get a yep. true unfettered attention where you can make that, make that claim. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's, let's stick with the around the corner game. What else? Uh, what else is are we missing? What else are are we not seeing right now? And we're recording this in August. Q four is is about 45, 50 days away, which is crazy to think that. Um, but here we are, uh, August of twenty twenty three. What else is is holding out for us in that pivotal Q four Q one period? Well, I'll do a little climate thing. Q four is supposed to be the worst hurricane season we're going to see in the record books because of the way the weather's been going. And I bring that up because it means devastation to potential manufacturing plants, raw materials, shipping. So it's not just disease states. And so people need to be prepared. I think we dodged a bullet when UPS settled uh, their potential strike and things. But uh, it's it's coming and we're going to need to watch that. And on the heels of that will be some of those diseases and various things going on. So I worry about raw materials because right now 
There are so many discontinuations, not necessarily due to raw materials, but how people are skinning down their uh, portfolios and a, a variety of things. And it's just 10 or 15 things a day that are affecting the providers. And people need to get together a little bit more on that transparency. And we've not learned it yet. And I'll introduce something that we haven't talked about yet on, on a more of a um, uh, really a, a broader stroke here. And that's what is the Fed going to do? Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, what are interest rates doing? Um, are they going to stabilize? Are they going to bump interest rates again? What's inflation doing? Because that has so much impact anymore in terms of being able to acquire uh, capital you know, bond issues, all these types of things, right, from a hospital finance standpoint, because as Barbara mentioned at the top of the show, you know, hospital finance is up against it, coming out of COVID and with labor costs and all this. And then if all of a sudden, you know, you look at an interest rates that, you know, a year and a half ago were at maybe maybe 1%. Now they're, you know, up in 7 8% in terms of getting the loan. Now you've got a whole nother impact on, you know, the financial pressures that the CFO is facing. That yeah. was the news clip this morning is inflation was ticking up. We're mm -hmm. at 3% and we don't know what the Fed's going to do because they've been doing things all along and now it's not working. Well, even during that downtick, relative downtick, uh, downtick sequentially uh, from the 7 8% that we were at to the 2 to 4% we've been at recently, right? They still continue to raise rates. Yeah. Um, so, yes. you know, that obviously that, that's a precursor to, we don't know what they're going to do. I don't think they know what they're going to do. Mm -mm. But people are still going to be sick and they're still going to need care. So yeah. we have to balance those things. So but, but, but to, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Barbara. No, I was just going to say, so those of you out in the audience, depending on the phase of your product or phase of the, you know, rejuvenating sales for a product that may have lagged during COVID or whatever you're doing, you got to be really careful. Yeah. So, so Tom, I wanted to come back to your point here. Uh, why, if I'm the vice president of sales for a $20 million med tech company, why do I care about the Fed? Well, I think you care about the Fed for a couple of reasons. Number one, you know, if you're a, a $20 million med tech company and you've got some kind of a capital equipment play in here, you know, what sorts of resources is that uh, CFO uh, at the hospital or whatever entity you're selling to going to have to play with, right? If they're building a new wing, you know, and if your equipment fits into that new build, Maybe based on financing, you know, they've got to cut some fat out of it and don't have the luxuries that they used to. So now you've really got to come, you know, to one of Mike's points, come back and really target your message that's going to help that CFO understand the 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 business value. And then you've got to also work the clinical value. So there's a lot going on with that. At the same time, if you're um, this, uh, you know, CEO of that med tech company, you ought to be communicating to your own investors talking to them about please have some patience because you know your 6 month sales cycle probably just went to a year right because you've got to really you know refine that cuz those hospitals are slowing down those decisions on new products and your investors are going to have to work with you with some patience to help understand that sales cycle 
Mike, what do you think about that? I think it's spot on. And I think, you know, knowing that that is a possibility and knowing that the environment's changing and knowing that people are more receptive to virtual selling, that you may want to start looking at, you know, how many external salespeople do you need versus internal salespeople, right? So for instance, you know, we've seen companies that we've helped that they started with 12 salespeople when we started with them and they were doing $50 million. And then by bolting on an inside sales organization, they still had 12 salespeople, but they were doing $100 million. Why? Because those 12 salespeople were rock stars. They were, the, they were the exact people that you want in front of the customer, but you want them in front of sales-ready opportunities. So I think, you know, knowing that we're going into an environment where things are just going to get more competitive, start using technology in the sales process and in other areas of the company to leverage technology and technique as opposed to, you know, what you've been doing forever and ever. Yeah. So it's interesting. I don't know if anybody watches the uh, HBO show. Um, it's called Showtime. Um, and uh, it's really interesting. It's about the history of the LA Lakers and how they came to prominence. Anyway, I watched one of the episodes last night uh, of the new season. And uh, the whole premise of it, of this launch of this season was how they were going to compete in the era of free agency uh, in the NBA and the explosion of salaries. And this was predicated in 1980s timeframe. And one of the characters said, oh, we don't have to worry. Ronald Reagan's going into office and he's going to preach credit and credits the new currency. And when you and to me, and we as we look at the context of that, that's 1980. We are in 2023. That implies a 43-year run of borrow, baby, borrow. Just keep borrowing, run up that credit, and spend, okay? And when we look at it, right, this is one of the few times probably in the 43 years that we've had where there's been significant rate increases that have caused significant impact to the ability to borrow, and when you have an economy that is predicated completely on its ability to borrow, baby, borrow and just spend it. OK, that that is one of the things that I think is afflicting healthcare so much today that people aren't paying attention. Right. We've got rising supply costs, rising labor costs, and you can't just issue that hundred million dollar bond at two percent that you used to be able to do just five years ago. That's a big difference. Mm hmm. Yeah, you, everything is costing more. And so COVID sort of opened the door to those sort of reasons why you have to do it. But if you're trying to sell something and you keep jacking up the price of things, uh, hospitals had a hard time paying for things before and now they can't. So this vicious cycle. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think Skender, you just I'm sorry, Mike. Skender, you just circulated the article about how CMS is only going to increase payments three percent this coming year, 3%. right? So yep. you're 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 underwater again with that. So <laughs> your top line's being affected too. Yeah, if you get a three percent pay increase, and everything is costing you eight percent. Right, you're negative five percent. Yeah, so that math doesn't work very well. Yeah. 
Sorry, well, Mike, I didn't mean to step know, on you. And I was just going to say, again, it goes simple things. You know, if you know you're going into a situation where money's tight and it's getting tighter or potentially is going to be tighter as time goes on, it means every dollar matters. So, you know, to your point, Tom, I think it's excellent, right? You hire a rep, you know, out of school who's green, who doesn't know the industry. And now your sales cycle went from six months to 12 months if you know what you're doing. Well, be realistic about what that ROI is going to look like. You know, start looking at your marketing and start looking at your trade show budgets and start looking at those banner ads that you're putting that are they really producing ROI? So this is a real, you know, important time for people to be getting smart about investment in and return out and just cutting things that aren't working or, you know, delaying them until things get better. Yeah. Yeah, we we talked about the sort of what's happened in the conferences over the first half of the year or so. So it dovetails into Mike's comment because it's just getting tighter and tighter and uh, more people are trying to flood back into the conference market because their association or whatever hung their budget on those annual conferences. But there's so many and it it goes across a lot of the Venn diagram of suppliers and they have to really pick and choose. And there was just lots of chatter. The last few meetings I went to is, I don't know if I can do this the next go round and I don't know what I'm getting out of this and things. So uh, a group of us were kind of talking that, that weren't suppliers or anything, but we were talking just from a, uh, provider-facing, professional organization point of view, we need to also diversify. We need to do different things where we're able to hear a lot of different messages from a lot of different suppliers without just, you know, going around and schlepping a booth and our feet hurt and back hurt after a while. We need to really do better things between virtual, but if we are going to get together uh, there's really nothing like getting together live and, and you can feel the difference in things. However, we got to make the most of those times in a very different way. We got to disrupt that whole cycle. So, Barbara, you know, uh, I'm, I'm kind of depressed at the moment, right, listening about all this stuff. So uh, what would be a breath of fresh air, right, if a company, you know, came to a value analysis professional like yourself and and, you know, what would make them say, you know, what would make you say, finally, I've got somebody that gets it? Are there one or two best practices in there that I think, you you know, would move the needle from somebody like yourself? Yeah, I do have, see, more clients who get it, except then they take it and they think they got it. So it's like a mixed bag, like, oh, they're really talking a great game and I really like this. And then they go and they do things and they come back and I go, I don't think they were listening. But um, it's really making it short to Skinder's point. You may have to make it about each separate customer, potential customer. And you really need to understand and maybe it's it's good to impart information to them and maybe not actually expecting a sell and maybe that's where the virtual piece can come in because it's so hard i was trying to calculate in a way to do data so that's where i live is there's probably over you know a, a, a 
somewhere a hundred thousand points of some sort of uh, product, uh, device, service, etc. But everybody's only hearing just a part of what's out there that could really help them. But what they listen to isn't what they help them. It's helping someone else because they don't know what it is. So somehow we need to get some refreshing way of knowing what's out there at any given time, just like we know what we can buy on Amazon every day. Well, let's uh, let's start to wrap up here as as, as we're going over time. Um, let's uh, let's just kind of do a wrap up of uh, what did you learn around the corner today, um, Mike? Why don't you start us off? I think. Well, first of all, I love your five ten thirty one. What was it? I just that. What was? Give me five ten thirty one. Five ten thirty one. I love it. I mean, I think that that's a brilliant statement for anybody in communication. So I love that. I love the conversation about the interest rates. And you know what's around the corner and how to prepare for that. And I love what Barbara was saying about you know value analysis and tailoring messages. So thank thank you guys for all that. And I, I think my takeaway really is, and I think it should be everybody's takeaway, is this fourth quarter is the time for you to really get serious about your business. Not that you haven't been serious before, but you know, it's like you know, the Rocky movie, right? The eye of the tiger. You got to go back and get hungry. You got to eat thunder and crap lightning during this time, <laughs> right? You really have to get serious about what's working, what's not, make those hard decisions and get prepared for what's around the corner because it's coming. Love it. Love it when people channel their inner Mickey. <laughs> Barbara? Well, thinking about everything in, in the last question Tom said, I think that suppliers need to help the providers get around the corner, help to see what's around there, help to move things and make it an easier transition. Like it'll be all right out there. And there are some really great things out there that are going on with suppliers that can help those conversations. So get in there and talk about it. Terrific. Tom. Yeah, I, uh, first of all, I echo a lot of the sentiments. I, I, I love that five ten thirty one. And at at risk of you know a, a punchline of a old old joke, there you know the 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 old joke about the optimist and the the pessimist. You know, there's a pony in here somewhere, right? Um, and you know, we we've got to look through all of the um, I'll call it the minutia to keep us uh, you know PG, but look through all this stuff out here and and find those things that will really resonate. You know, to to some of Mike's points. You know, you know, let's not do stupid things. Let's keep it really focused. And I think if you do that and put yourself in your customer's shoes, you'll you'll come out fine. But you've got to step back and take a breath. And think about all these things that are going on right now. Um, you know, all of those threats that are facing our our our, our, our clinicians uh, on the front lines at the moment, and really try to reach out and find a way to help them. Great point. So, so my final takeaway is: I think the road ahead is filled with a lot of corners, um, and I think it's more corners than there aren't corners. And I think this is a unique time because the reason why is suppliers, providers we're on that same road together, right? We're both looking at all these corners. We may not be able to see what's coming, but the opportunity to be a leader and help each other, I think is more profound than ever before. And I think that's one of the things that the suppliers that listen to our podcast, that's what you can take from this. 
be a leader, be a partner, work with them. They don't, they can't see what's coming around the corner either, your customers. So help provide some context. Say, I don't know what's coming either, but here's how I'm going to be a partner with you to make that next challenge that much easier. I think that's what everybody's looking for. And I think it's a unique opportunity that we've rarely had historically in this industry. Take advantage of it. So with that, I, I want to thank our panelists, Barbara, Mike, Tom. Thanks again for, for making the time today. I especially want to thank our listeners for making the time listening to our podcast. If you like what we have to say, please visit our website at medtexperts.com or follow us on LinkedIn. And please make sure to tell your friends about us uh, as we've got a lot of exciting podcasts to come. Also, I want to remind everybody to please listen to our sister podcast, Women in MedTech. They have some fantastic content that has already come out and some great content that is yet to come out. Please take the time to look that up and listen to their platform as well as I think it's invigorating for everyone, not just women. It's really inspiring for everyone. So thanks again. Please listen to the next episode. And with that, we appreciate everybody listening to the MedTech Business Academy.